1: we are always encouraging you to go into the next phase of your life with as much boldness as possible. And one of those phases of life, or one of those parts of life, is often called enlightenment. And we have an amazing teacher with us, Dan Millman, who has recently released a book called The Hidden School, that's today going to walk us down so many different paths so that at the end of the program you find yourself stepping on your own new path. Dan Millman, I'm so glad you could join us. How are you doing today?
0: Hi, Carol, and it's a pleasure to be with you. Doing fine.
1: Oh, okay. Very good. All right, Dan, the hidden hidden schools, I do have to say that when I saw the title, I was flimmoxed by my own memory of years and years and years, starting when I was 15 years old. I'm now 62, looking for the right school, that would give me the right direction, that would give me the right insights, that would enlighten me and expand me. And when I read your book, I, I was thinking, the hidden school, oh my goodness, in pursuit of the school, in, that is in pursuit of enlightenment. But what is enlightenment, Dan? Why should that even be something that any of us would want to accomplish?
0: Oh, I don't know why we would either. <laughs> I mean, first of all, it's not an accomplishment. <laughs> first, it's not an accomplishment. It's just a concept for most people. Um, and, and you know, it implies illumination, it implies being filled with light. It implies a kind of awakening. And maybe the best way to describe, I think the term awakening is easier to deal with than enlightenment because it has too many trappings from one or another Eastern tradition, Um and it, it's a fair enough term, but let's talk about awakening for, for a moment. I, you know, I, anyway, that okay. sounds like a, a worthwhile topic to me in that because most of, it, most of us can relate to the idea of lucid dreaming. Many of us have heard the term lucid dreaming. We know that every night we dream. We may not remember the dreams, but it's a part of the human function to dream at night. It's releasing uh, stress from the day uh, in symbolic ways, the brain sorting itself out, various synapses, firing, and we have these impressions. Sometimes we remember our dreams. They may be nightmares. They may be very pleasant. um, But we're usually caught up in the dream. Uh, If there's a monster in the dream or something that we're afraid of, we're really terrified within the dream. We may even wake up uh, making an audible sound at times. So the dream seems real when we're having it, but there's a function called lucid dreaming. People can learn how to do it. And and there are books written on the topic where we wake up within the dream, where we're still dreaming, but we realize, Oh, this is a dream. And that's, that's huge for many people. Even a semi lucid dream, we gain some distance from, we're more relaxed within the dream. It doesn't trouble us as much because a part of us knows it's a dream. Now, what if we took that ability and, into our everyday life and we had experienced something called lucid waking where instead of being quite as caught up in all the dramas of everyday life, instead of being battered by the, by the within the, the different currents of life, the ups and downs, ins and outs, and the confusions and troubles and worries and stresses, what if we woke up within that, this waking dream and smiled and took a deep breath and weren't quite as wrapped up in it, we started to realize that life is a game we play as if it matters. But it's a kind of game. So we still, we may even function even better in life. Uh, I don't know if any of your listeners have ever played a game of ping pong or another sport. And at that day, we were so expansive, we didn't really care how it went. And we were so loose and quick and having a good time with it, we actually played better. And that's what I'm talking about. So that's the best way I can describe this idea um, uh, of awakening or enlightenment. Nothing changes. We still have to do the laundry. We still have to deal with our relationships and all the other challenges of everyday life. But we do it with a different kind of lightness, non-seriousness and perspective. And that's the best way I can I can convey my my sense of enlightenment or awakening.
1: Now, you started your path of awakening, uh, am I going to say, like in your early 20s or late teens, and started it by way of a human being that kind of serves as a mentor?
0: Well, yes. Uh, as I describe in my first book, best known book, Way of the Peaceful Warrior, which was turned into a film, you know, with Nick Nolte playing my old mentor, the gas station mechanic I called Socrates. And in the book, um, I do describe, I I begin as a uh, self-absorbed, self-satisfied young uh, athlete and elite gymnast at UC Berkeley. And then I meet this old guy in a gas station one night, whom, by the way, I really did meet about three in the morning uh, in December of 1966. And he shook me up. And I'm pointing up right now. Um, and I began to see another way of living, uh, comparing my life to his. And even though, I, you know, at first it seemed like I was a college student. He was a gas station all night attendant. I mean, I had a girlfriend and my grades were going well and I had a future. And what was he doing? Well, that reversed itself very quickly because his sense of humor, his cosmic uh, presence, um humbled me and confused me and frustrated me. He had something I didn't have and I couldn't name it. And that's what kept me around. Uh, And he began to teach me. And of course, in the original book, Way of the Peaceful Warrior, it relates these lessons. But the funny thing is, that book was never completed. I mean, it came out, it's been out for 37 years, but it never was finished. Because there was a a section near the end of the book where he sends me away to travel around the world and learn from my life experience. And in those few pages where I summarized that, there was so much left out. So I ended up 10 years after writing the original book, writing the second book in a kind of trilogy that takes place within the book not afterward, and I called it Sacred Journey of the Peaceful Warrior. It's a small story. It takes place in a rainforest in Hawaii. And I had, my readers had to wait 37 years after the original book when I was finally ready to write this recent book, The Hidden School. Um, and that really completes the story and shows what prepared me for the eventual culminating enlightenment experience of the death and rebirth an awakening I experienced at the end of way of the peaceful warrior. So the toughest thing I've had to convey to readers is that hidden school takes place within the original book. It is a part of the original book and yet it stands alone for readers who aren't familiar with my work. Mm -hmm.
1: Very true. I I have read every single thing you've ever put out, not once, but several times because I find it very amazingly inspiring it, it jettisons me into my own, my own path, my own hidden schools. So just for the next bit, let's get very concrete about this book, The Hidden Schools, and what are you trying to give us in the context of those pages? Hello? We seem to have just dropped a wonderful conversation with Dan Millman. Uh, something must have happened with connection, and here we are back. I'm Hello, back. Dan. Oh, that Hi, was a fascinating we... moment.
0: Yes, wasn't, <laughs> wasn't tight it? was
1: and in the cold. A
0: cosmic <laughs> so moment. The call, call just
1: dropped. <laughs> is, that, <laughs> is, that, <laughs> is that is that symbolic of the hidden uh, of the hidden schools? So what What is this book about? What 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 did you what, what did you want to take your reader at the beginning and at the end? Have your reader experience? the process.
0: well of course as you know there are many points that are made and themes and and uh talks about paradox humor and change but overall if i had to summarize i would say i hope the reader finishes the book with a refreshed or newfound or enhanced appreciation for the opportunity to be here now to live a human life on planet earth because so many times we go around muttering to ourselves, "What am I going to do about my relationship, my health issue, uh, my physical body, my finances, my decisions, my career?" And we forget the incredible, un- unbelievably rare opportunity we've each been afforded to live a human life on this planet or with all its ups and downs. That would be the overriding goal I would hope for for my readers. You.
1: Were- one point say that you're in search of eternal life and then in the context of your book you answer what that means do you want to reveal that secret to to us or do you want us to read that
0: i think it's fair to share it now because you know i found that even the most astute readers because of the nature of the material there's a book as you know within the book a journal and that material even though it's clearly written i took great care to write it clearly Um, It's not complex or abstract, but it may take readers a couple of times to really understand it and grasp it. It's something genuinely new, a new model for understanding our lives. So it's fair enough to, to talk about eternal life and how we might actually enjoy it. The problem is it takes a logical progression to really grasp it. And that is when we understand who we really are, when we understand how time actually works from a transcendent perspective, we realize that All we ever have is the eternal present. And it's more than just living in the present. It's a realization that life is bigger than we normally grasp. And so that's why I take people through a natural progression. So it's not the eternal life necessarily that when someone dies, they go to heaven and they live eternally with their family and loved ones. Um, No, it, it doesn't exactly mean that, nor does it mean that we're going to become uh, uh, silicon-based beings, and and our brains will be transported into uh, beings that live forever, or we'll freeze ourselves and then we'll resurrect. It, it doesn't mean any of those technological or mystical things. It is actually a view of reality from a transcendent perspective, and most of us live our lives from a conventional perspective, which where we should be. Daily life. Uh, requires us to deal with the conventions of our day, our obligations, our duties with children, with work, with everything else we're doing. But there is a way to build a bridge. So we spend more time or we can shift any, an act of attention, an act of will. We can shift to a, a bigger picture perspective where different truths operate. And that's why I bring up the issue of paradox in the book. Because paradox is a key to unlocking this deeper understanding, allowing us to enjoy all of the things of our everyday life from a higher perspective.
1: Oh, do elaborate. I love the sections where you mentioned paradox, humor, and change. Elaborate.
0: Sure. Well, let me say a few things about humor and change first, because paradox may be best saving it for last. Humor isn't just a matter of laughing or finding the humor in situations. Some people are very vital and they're laughing all the time. That's great. You know, we tell jokes. We see humor situations on television, in the movies or in everyday life. And the ability to laugh is wonderful tension release. Uh, it's a um, great human capacity. But I'm talking about something different. I'm talking about cosmic humor, the ability to to not take ourselves or our lives quite as seriously. Mark Twain, even though he could be quite cynical, Mark Twain had a way of uh, looking at life this way. For example, one of his quotations goes like this. He said, I've had many troubles in my life, most of which never happened. Mm -hmm. And many people, when they hear that, they laugh because we see that's true of our life, too because most of our troubles don't happen. They're up in our heads about past and future, but they don't actually happen in everyday life. Um, so that, that kind of lightness, you know, that old saying by uh, G.K. Chesterton, angels can uh, fly because they take themselves lightly. Um, and so that's what I'm talking about, humor, to, to see ourselves in our lives from a little more humorous perspective, we can do that looking back on things, things that were very difficult and troubling Um, we can look back uh, a month a year later and find humor in that but often we can't find it in the moment, but wouldn't it be wonderful if we could genuinely find humor in every situation Now, the idea of change, which is the third um, paradox, humor, and change the best thing I could say about change is this when things are going well for us, beautifully, we have those, those times in life, we all know. We don't want change. We cling to whatever it is. We don't want it to go away. We want it to last forever, and it never does. That's just not how life works. Um, when things are not going well, of course we want change. We want to change other people, our circumstances, maybe even ourselves, which would be terrific. Um, change comes at us in waves that we cannot predict or control most of us realize this but we can learn to surf those waves to ride them more gracefully with a better sense of resilience that's what this whole spiritual search is about it doesn't make our life suddenly unfold smoothly all the time but we can face whatever happens with a stronger sense of resilience and perspective and even humor so that's all I'm going to say about change because I want to turn to paradox Paradox, as defined in the dictionary, are two apparently opposing statements that are both true. Now, how can that be? How can two opposite statements both be true? Well, in the book, The Tale of Two Cities, Charles Dickens opens that book. Many of us remember those words. It was the best of times. It was the worst (coughs) of times. And he goes on to uh, other pairs of paradox, like it was a time of belief, it was a time of incredulity, and so on and so on. It was a time of hope, it was a faith, it was a time of doubt. And he goes into these opposite statements, but you and I know that both of those are true. How about today? Is it the best of times? Yes. Or is it the worst of times? It's both. There's a saying that two men looked out of prison bars. One saw mud and the other saw stars. Both mud and stars exist. The question is, where do we want to put our attention?
1: So in light of paradox, is humor a way of shifting into paradox? Is it a way of taking a moment that might be serious and finding the alternate side that makes us chuckle?
0: Well, that's an interesting question. I would look at it the opposite way. Um, that when we understand paradox and how opposing truths can be both be true from different perspectives, we be, that we automatically begin to see from a distance. Um, it's as if we're stuck down in the weeds watching two small creatures fight and struggle. And we're wrapped up in that, and it seems almost traumatic to watch. And suddenly, though, we find ourselves standing on the mountaintop. And from that vantage point, everything looks more beautiful in the distance. We love looking at things from a a broad view. And from that place, it's much easier to have a sense of distance, of perspective, of wisdom, uh, and even of humor. So I think understanding paradox is the key. Which is why Socrates gave me that old business card uh, in my original book, and it said on the back, uh, specializing in paradox, humor, and change. That's how he described himself. And there are bigger picture questions about life that very intelligent people, uh, philosophers, physicists, debate on both sides of the issue. For example, does free will exist? Or is free will an illusion? Um, are we separate selves, each of us? I could argue that, but I could also argue that we are all one. Um, does, time, does time exist? Do we go from a past, present, to future? It seems like it in everyday life, but I could also argue that time is an illusion. And that all we ever have is the eternal present, as we touched upon earlier. Now, people may go, well, that's all a bunch of philosophy. Who cares about that? I've got, you know, I've got things to do today. I've got errands to run. I'm trying to find success in my work or or perform better in my sport. How can that help me? Well, it it doesn't get the plumbing fixed, these ideas. Um, It it doesn't necessarily have us make more money. Um, However, however, We can make more money and still not be happy or still be confused about what what are we doing here in life? And there are times late in the night or early in the morning we wake up and we wonder, what is life about? What am I here for? Um, And I think these fundamental questions give an actual foundation for our life to live it better and happier, more fulfilled. Uh, with a greater sense of meaning and purpose and direction in life that's why I think it's important to discuss and that's why these higher teachings had to wait 37 years before we could enjoy them in the form of an adventure and a quest in the hidden school
1: what about you needed those 37 years to write those words to, to to teach us what about you needed those 37 years Well,
0: I'll I'll tell you, Carol, in uh, about, oh, six or seven years ago, I wrote my, I think it was my 15th book, and it was called Wisdom of the Peaceful Warrior. Uh, Actually, it was 10 years ago, or no, it was 11 years ago, um, when the Peaceful Warrior movie came out in 2006. I thought the movie did a pretty good job of conveying some of the ideas and the spirit of my first book but it could also raise questions and confusion in people on what I was really teaching because I didn't write the movie script. I wrote the book, which covers a lot more. And I decided it was time to write a book as a companion to my original book that actually explores everything Socrates said in the original book and clarifies it. Now, that book had to wait many years as well. And it wasn't until then that I could really understand and convey what he was trying to teach me back in 1960, well, it was around 1967 when I first met him. And I, I couldn't fully process it, even when I wrote the book originally. So that's why that other book had to wait, and that's why The Hidden School had to wait. I had to find a way to convey these higher teachings in a way that's fresh, And that people could really get, if they're willing to read that material more than once, it will start to sink in and it may become part of people. And, you know, it's a model of reality that's actually fresh, actually different from what I've ever seen anyone has ever conveyed before. Let me give an analogy. Before Einstein came up with the theory of relativity, there were certain concepts no one could understand. And it turned out he explained things that scientists only today and sophisticated instruments of measurement are finally starting to prove that he was right. That is his theory, his idea actually seems to hold sway in many ways. Um, And new quantum theories are coming out, too. And the string theory, I don't really understand string theory, but um, it does apparently help explain some things about the cosmos. And so... For the first time I've ever come across, I present a model based on paradox to help us resolve and reconcile these apparently opposing ideas like free will, separate self, death. Do we have eternal life or do we die? Both. But we have to understand how we can see and understand eternal life by shifting our attention to the transcendental level. And that's what I've tried to convey. And again, it's not a book of philosophy, as you know. It's an adventure story. But there are sections Mm -hmm. in there that take some digesting and can actually bring a a greater sense of wisdom and perspective to anyone's life. That's what I'm hoping for.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, you say in part of your book that that there's no victory over death. death. It, it, It is said with such a clarity example with despair there's no victory over death and in the very next section you say eternal life is in the eternal experience of the now how how does row 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 your boat fit into that configuration (laughs) well it does and it
0: doesn't there's there's more paradox um Again out of context yeah it sounds like opposite statements there's no victory over death we know that every single person who has lived has died in other words the body decomposes and that body that life is finished now whatever beliefs we have about an afterlife or reincarnation that's that's another topic really but we do know that death exists you know I was with my father um, 10 minutes before he died in, in, in his room with him sitting with him and then my wife and I went outside for a, a, a few minutes when we came back he was gone
1: Bye. sometimes
0: that happens you know with the with dying they wait till they're alone um and by the way, I don't know if you can hear the, the ambiance of Brooklyn, New York, the sirens in the background. Yes. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah. Perfectly
0: appropriate. I, I don't charge extra for that. That's just the sound effects of where we are and what can happen in everyday life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, yeah. So I was with my father before he died and after there was just a husk. He was gone. It was clear. It was just this, this body, uh, this vessel lying there, but he, it, it was so clearly not there anymore. And so no one can tell me, oh, death is an illusion. It doesn't exist. Uh, and we grieve those uh, who we won't see in the flesh this lifetime again, uh, whatever our beliefs are. And, and yet, and yet, from a transcendent viewpoint, who are we really? Are we this body, this personality, or is it possible And again, it doesn't do people any good. It doesn't enlighten people for me just to say that we are pure awareness because people may take that in on an intellectual level. Oh, yes, that's very interesting. Yes, I've meditated. I know we are pure awareness. We are the witness who sees it all, but penetrates people. When that penetrates them and becomes a living reality, wow, they really get it. And awareness is never born and never dies. So there's the paradox. We cannot escape death. There oh. is no victory over death. And yet death is almost a laughable impossibility from another perspective. And the trick is to live, uh, in moments at least, in that perspective where all these higher truths uh, exist and hold sway. Now, oh. you asked me about yeah. row, 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 row. I, 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 your yes. boat. Between you and Between you and me and your listeners, I'd kind of rather not have to repeat that whole thing because I'd rather let listeners organically experience it in a a lovely way as it's presented in the book rather than go through all that material now. But I, I, I will say in response to your question, not to dodge it, that 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 children's song holds great wisdom and can literally guide our entire lives. Uh, if we practice what's written in that song, And so that's all okay. I'll say now.
1: Okay, well, so I'm going to round about this then. <laughs> so every book that I read that you've written, that is uh, narrative uh, storylines, and or, or when you provide narratives to illustrate your different points and other books that are more directively uh, formatted prophetically. So, Every book, I'm saying this so awkwardly, I don't know why, but every book I find myself frustrated in with the character that you play that always seems to put these effortful, complicated, step-by-step in their path that you have to overcome. And I want to just say, just step over it. I find myself like, just step over it, just move around it, just just get up. And I've and I, I'm so involved in the constraint and the limitation and the short sightedness of your character at those moments. As if I'm looking at you from a perspective and shouting, Come on, you can do it, you can do it and then you <laughs> move us into then you move us into the experience of the flow but I always get the impression that the flow is something you look at suspiciously and the effort is something you have an intimate relationship with. What do you think about my experience of you as a writer in in those characters?
0: Oh, sure. Um, I I find that fascinating question. You're asking questions I haven't been asked before. This is wonderful. Um, Oh, Well, first of all, Yes. Well, first of all, Carol, um, I, I believe one reason so many readers have related to my character, especially like in Way of the Peaceful Warrior, is because I'm every man. I don't I'm not my character. And again, the character of Dan Millman in my books is remarkably like me. But he is a literary character. He, he lives within the pages of a book and now a number several books, including The Hidden School. Um, and he is more Every man, but as you can read in the hidden school he's going through a transformation he's beginning to shift in the hidden school which is why I had to write it from the adolescent argumentative bumbling uh, self-absorbed young student uh, at Berkeley arguing with Socrates all the time to someone who goes to uh, moves toward the role of being uh, a teacher and a writer in, in his own right um, so I can see why one would be frustrated and say, Dan, why are you doing this? You could make it easier. In fact, it reminds me of a story. I, I was coaching gymnastics at Stanford University. I was a young coach. I was 22 years old. I had just graduated from college. And I walked into the gym one morning, and one of the gymnasts was lying on the front, on the floor stretching his leg because um, gymnasts have to be very flexible. And he was going through stretching, which involved some discomfort, of course. But I heard him muttering to himself as I walked by, Oh, I hate this. This hurts so much. And I Uh, felt the same about him as you do with my character sometimes. I I turned to him (laughs) and I said, Who's doing it? Who's doing it to you? You know, (laughs) some of us live that way. We make life more effortful and more difficult than we actually need to, which, which is why the writer Barbara Rasp once wrote, the lesson is simple. The student is complicated. And I was, I'm oh, yeah. uh, quite a, com- I'm a complicated character, a complicated young man. Um, and by the way, women, you know, I've certainly relate to the book. Half my, the people who show up to my seminars for the last 30 years are women. In other words, I, it's yeah. a, it reflects the blend that, that balance of peaceful warrior um, peaceful heart warrior spirit. So Without waxing on too much, uh, let me just say that I believe in flow. Absolutely. That, that's what I was implying when I said life comes at us in waves of change, but we can learn to surf. So I believe in flowing with the moment, but not everyone tends to do that. And readers can relate to someone who's not doing that, but who gradually learns how to do that which is coming into a more mature place in the hidden school. I doubt you were quite as frustrated with my character, but maybe sometimes as you were in the P- way of the peaceful warrior, where I was this young man.
1: Uh, no, I was equally. I, I, I really noticed the shift <laughs> in me. And, 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 yeah, no, this is a – that's why I brought up the row, row, row your boat, and I have a few other questions. Like when you're shifting, again, this is a paradox between effort and flow. Uh, between um, kind of an intuition, intuitive approach to life that kind of goes with the flow and takes it, what appears to be haphazard or coincidentally or um, cosmically, and then the other part that goes to the effort and has, does the planning and does the the pain involved or does the, or trips on a rock as opposed to step over it. This is a paradox. I, I, your character really characterizes that for me.
0: Well, it really is a paradox. You know, you mentioned early on in your introduction about uh, thinking inside or outside the box. And that's another paradox because I absolutely think inside and outside the box. I think we need to do both. That's why I recommend people live with their head in the clouds, but their feet on the ground. Um, Sometimes Mm -hmm. we need to be inside the box to relate to other people. Um, we can't just be Buddhas floating around while other people are suffering and, and go, oh, too bad, but I'm above all that. You know, we sometimes, uh, um, I think Carlos Castaneda called it controlled folly, where we step back mm. into the world. And, and and that's what I do in my books. Now, it's not as if The Hidden School was written by or, or is about a mature character um, it's not long after I met Socrates because it's part of that story. So I was uh, right. about 28 years old when when the hidden school takes place. I'm still a relatively young man learning the lessons of life. My brain is only fully developed, as we know. About, about the age of 25, our brain finally uh, comes together in, in a different way from a teenager. So I was growing through that stage. Um, but the paradox of effort, you know, when we think about creative inspiration, and, and you know this probably better than I do. Um, you're the doctor. I'm not. <laughs> um, oh, no. When please people, don't
1: do that. We're all the doctor. <laughs> Go for
0: it. <laughs> well, when people, you know, when people are working on it to solve a problem, whether it's a math problem or a, a creative problem in their life, coming up with a solution or making a decision, first they have to really put effort into it. They have to use you know, their left brain, right brain, both sides, and, and struggle and, and try to solve the problem and do the math. But then when they let it go, after they've done the effort, often the answer pops into their head overnight or they dream it. Um, and that seems to be a pattern. When I write, there's a lot of effort involved. But then it brings those moments of creative inspiration where it feels effortless. So... The horse I'm betting on, and if each of us, if your listeners, look back in their lives to see what they've accomplished, it hasn't been just a complete flow. You know, just, oh, I wrote the book effortlessly. It just come, just flowed from my fingers. There is a lot of effort. Uh, effort over time is I mean, it took effort for me to become an elite gymnast. I didn't just flow through it. Um, we love the idea, and when those moments happen, they're wonderful. But let me put it this way. We can control our efforts. We can control, you know, working on being better at a sport or an art or a craft or speaking or anything else we practice. We can control that, but we cannot control the outcomes. That's not realistic. We can't control whether we sink a putt in golf or find success or love. But by making a good effort over time, We vastly increase the odds of getting the desired result over not making the effort. Uh, So if people are uh, wallflowers in life just waiting for the creative moment of inspiration to write that book, um, I'll say good luck. But for me, effort over time, that's the horse I'm betting on. And if we exert that effort, paradoxically, that's when the flow can happen. And those moments of inspiration seem to flow effortlessly.
1: Uh, beautifully said. So again, in the row, row, row your boat analogy, you have to get in the boat and you have to row it, and the water oh, unless does it's a
0: motor flow. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, then
1: row, row, row your boat. One, yes.
0: Yes. So, so um, beautifully, beautifully but, said. But, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. So, do you feel that it is? Uh, it is more trustworthy to know when you are a person who will engage in taking charge of whatever it is you can do in other words the effort the skill the learning the practice the the, the, the rehearsal of it is that where we gain our sense of control and competence and then the flow is where we kind of relinquish it by faith or belief or hope and if that's a little that's a little scarier because That's leaving it up to the serendipities of whatever is outside of the control that we're exerting. That's a little scary. I I know feel scarier in your book, like, ooh, what's going to happen now? This is up, this is, you know, freer, it's freer flowing, but it's a little scarier. It's up for grabs.
0: Well, it is, and life is up for grabs, and we, we have to face that reality Um, and many of us have discovered that things come out of left field, but I, I will say this. Uh, I don't know if we ever covered this in any of our past conversations, Carol, but there's something I wrote in another book that I, 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 I quote myself a lot because I think people get a kick out of it. Um, and, and it says this to progress toward your goals, uh, you can pursue one of the following two methods. And the first method is fascinating, endlessly, and it's very popular. So I'll, I'll, I'll share that first. Then I will share the second method, which is the one I recommend. And, and the first method is this. We need to find a way to quiet our mind, create empowering beliefs, and raise our self-esteem, and practice positive self-talk to find our focus and affirm our power to free our emotions and visualize positive outcomes so that we can develop the confidence to generate the courage to find the determination to make the commitment to feel sufficiently motivated to do whatever it is we need to do. Phew, that's a, yes. that's a mouthful. Yeah, perfect. Um, that's right. The second and then method, around
1: and around it goes.
0: And the, the one I recommend, the second method is you can just do it. And life always comes down to that. Will we do it or will we not? Yes, we run into self-doubt. We run into insecurity. We run into times we failed in the past. We run into uh, just we're too tired. We don't feel up to it. But life comes down to that. Will we do it or won't we do it? The, big, the great secret that I've shared for years And I think it's probably the major challenge facing any of us and all of us um, at any point in our lives, whether it's spiritual or conventional, whatever, to turn what we know into what we actually do. We all know it's good to be kind. We all know it's good to do regular moderate exercise almost every day. We all know it's good to eat a balance, too much junk food. We all know these things. But how do we turn what we know into what we do? How do we find, as many people ask, the discipline or the motivation? And the best way I know of is a, a kind of a slogan, a bumper sticker I've come up with, which is dream big, but start small, and then connect the dots. This idea of starting small gets our foot in the door. It's a beginning. We actually take action. And you may know that I've created a four-minute Peaceful Warrior workout, which, by the way, yes, anyone can it. learn. Well, great. Mm-hmm. You know, my website, I teach yes. an online course through my homepage at peacefulwarrior.com. And people can take this and learn this four-minute workout, which I've done every day for – well, let's say not every day. I, I, I mentioned to the um, recently that I had some joint replacements this spring. And so I had to wait almost a week before I could begin to go through some elements of the workout again, but I've done it on a train in Russia, Petersburg, and Moscow. Uh, I've done it in the oddest places, but every morning. And why, how can I do that? Am I so disciplined? No, it's only three and a half minutes. So who? it's almost excuse proof. Who doesn't have three and a half minutes to do something? Now someone might say, but wait a minute, that's not like doing an hour and a half of yoga or lifting weights for an hour at the gym or running five miles no it's not but it has balanced elements of endurance strength balance coordination rhythm timing reflex speed tension release all in three and a half to four minutes a day so it's based on the principle a little of something is better than a lot of nothing so we don't have to make heroic efforts in our lives if we'll just make small efforts over time, it adds up.
1: Beautiful. We don't have to make heroic efforts. That's Rarely. beautifully said. In your, in your book, in your book, every book, every page is filled with some sort of bodily movement or exercise or exertion. It's as if you do experience the world from the perspective of this body of yours that, that hungers to be used and at the same time doesn't like having to be overly exerted and yet does the overexertion almost to prove to yourself that you don't have that next limit that you're facing. What is that like for you as an athlete? What is that like for you as a spiritual teacher? What is the spiritual connection between body and, uh, and enlightenment or awakening?
0: Well, spiritual life, I believe, begins on the ground, not up in the air. The tree uh, has to take roots before it can stretch up to the heavens, which is one way of looking at it. So I, you know, life is a moving experience, and my background is an athlete. Remember, I wasn't always an athlete. I was a little kid who loved swinging on ropes and climbing trees. It began as that. And, and most children love running and jumping and the joy of, of a body. But so many of us are looking for ways to wing free of the body. It feels like an obligation. It, we can feel pain mm-hmm. through the body as well as pleasure. Um, so there are people who are want to learn how to travel out of their body before they've even really gotten into it. Um, Mm -hmm. They they haven't really had a fully in body experience yet. And so I do believe that the the physical body uh, grounds us and gives us roots from which we can explore through the brain, through our higher self. It's been said in the mystical traditions that we get messages from our higher self only through the basic self or through our subconscious, through the body itself. We get these intuitions, gut feelings. That's right in our guts. We have heartfelt feelings. So, you know, we, we, the only thing we're guaranteed to, to keep this lifetime, we can lose our beliefs. We can lose our friends, our loved ones, our house, our possessions. But the one thing we're guaranteed to, to keep our whole lifetime is, is the body. And we need to take care of it. Um, it will grow old but we can age more gracefully. And that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm 71 years old now, and uh, people seem surprised Maybe. when they see me. They go, oh, you know, they, oh, you're not 71. Uh, I still do handstands at some of my seminars just to demonstrate, you know, that sort of sure, thing. Yeah. But but again, it, it's not uh, idolizing or worshiping the body. It's just taking good care of it, as you would anything that you, you know, your most prized possession uh, that allows you to relate with others and experience um, these mystical experiences. And many athletes, in fact, have reported mystical experiences, moments of absolute absorption um, in in the moment where life seemed timeless. And many people strive for years to do various spiritual practices to experience what many athletes, surfers, uh, baseball players, doesn't matter, they have these moments they can share with others. Yeah, that was amazing. I wish I could get back there. And that's what we do in the spiritual practices of meditation and other practices. But we can meditate uh, in movement. Many of us know that. So you can meditate walking down the street. I did this morning. Um, I, I do a four-minute meditation akin to my four-minute workout. But I do I med- my favorite place to meditate uh, is on the subways in New York City where I live. So, wow, you know, we, we, yeah, we experience enlightenment in the body, not out of it.
1: So this in-body capacity is not uh, just about proving to yourself that you're up for the effort, that you're up for the grind, that you're up for the next challenge physically. Um, it is also that you have an elevated moment that arises during some of this physical activity. Am I understanding? That's
0: yeah, yeah. You you certainly are. Um, you know, life develops what it demands, and if we call daily life a form of spiritual weightlifting, we recognize that if you don't lift any weights in life, you don't get any stronger. Um, so I wish I could create a spiritual school. Um, centered around the practice of watching our favorite videos and eating Haagen-Dazs ice cream. But I haven't <laughs> found that to be, it's, it's a lot of fun, but I haven't found it to be as useful in terms of our, our, our development. And most of us, if we look back on our lives, you know, we, we appreciate the idea of voluntary adversity. I mean, anybody who's done a sport or learned a musical instrument or studied a new language knows that life is easier not doing those things taking on those challenges um life is easier not having an intimate relationship life is easier not having children life is easier not taking any responsibilities at all maybe living in a little cabin in the woods but we're not here for easy we're peaceful warriors in training all of us and so it's not about extra effort any good martial arts practitioner knows everything and accomplish it with minimum effort Uh, and that's what happens over time and experience we learn to move more efficiently but we also know that we've grown stronger in the years by facing difficulties adversity and challenges Uh, and so yes one of the lessons in the hidden school and in my other books is that we can rise to the moment we can rise to the occasion we can do more and know more uh, and accomplish more than we believed we could. Uh, when life calls forth that action, like the mother, the the apocryphal story, perhaps, of the mother lifting uh, the end of a car off her child uh, who was caught under it. She didn't think she could do that, but she did it because she had to. And so we've all had moments, if we think back on them, where we do draw upon those inner resources. But we wouldn't want our lives to be one you know, challenge after the next. It's nice to have some moments where, uh, of grace where things come easily, and we have those as well. So it's good to talk about you know the basics of being in the body, and also, also it's good to talk about how life is a series of moments, just a series of moments. and the quality of these moments uh, become the quality of our life.
1: So, Dan, let's catapult you into being in your 70s and quite a different person in many respects from when you were meeting Socrates at 20 in your 20s. Mm-hmm. What type of spiritual teacher do you think you need in your 70s that would have been a, a complete mismatch in your 20s? What type of spiritual teacher do you long for or do you have that addresses what it means to be in your seventies that has nothing to do with being in your twenties.
0: Well, fortunately I can answer that question quite easily and I'll nice. a way to a way to point toward the answer is to say that, you know, I've, I've been teaching for many years, but I, I've, I've always made it clear that I'm not here for people to trust me. I'm here to help people trust themselves. Ultimately, we all have access to the wisdom we seek outside of ourselves. Ultimately, but it's a matter of cutting through the, the static and the noise to find that. And the teacher I have now uh, is inside me. It's been internalized. In a sense, it always was, but I couldn't see that. And I just didn't have clear access to that teacher. So now that I'm in my 70s, Because of the work I've done, it's not like every 70 year old necessarily has great wisdom. I wish I could say that, but we probably know 70 year olds or 80 year olds or 60 year olds who don't, um, who are lost. But because of the work I've done over the years, um, my teacher is inside my inner knower and, and, everything I hear and read, I always check out against that inner knower. I've come to trust it, that God or goddess, let's say, you know, of my heart. Um, But most of us are not in touch with that God or goddess of their heart because they're busy worshiping the God of opinion, uh, too too sensitive to what other people think. And there are ways to free ourselves from that God of opinion. Um, So I needed uh, external teachers. And many of us, you know, we go through childhood and adolescence before we reach adulthood. And some people actually, I have to say, never quite reach adulthood their eternal adolescence, or even children. Now, children need a parent to tell them what to do. And there are people at that stage of their physical, their spiritual journey, where they look for a parent, a guru, a master, to tell them how to live, who they project all power and knowledge on. And it's a stage of spiritual life, looking for a guru or a parent. And then we may mature into the adolescent phase, where we say... all these teachers are fake. They don't know what they're talking about. Only I know what's best for me. And that is ultimately true. But they do it as an adolescent, rejecting everything, um, shutting their mind to it. But, it. but it's a necessary phase of life because adolescents have to discover um, their own way, not just what other people have told them. So it's a necessary phase before hopefully we mature into adulthood where we listen to wisdom wherever it may be, even an old service station mechanic. But we always check it out against our inner knower, our inner teacher, and ultimately that uh, who is guiding me now.
1: That's powerfully said. I mean, there are experiences you have in your 70s and your 80s that cannot be described to someone who's in their 20s. Exactly. To enter, enter into that phase is, on some levels, just as eye-opening and surprising as when you're tw- in your 20s. So it's interesting to hear you say that you've moved into that space of relying on yourself. Are you having brand-new experiences a 70-year-olds you didn't have as a 20-year-old, I would imagine? Well,
0: I am, but um, they tend to be lessons that I, I missed along the way. I've seen some spiritual masters who would have been good to go to his 12-step program, you know. Uh, They they can have the enlightened experiences in the higher chakras uh, and the samadhis, as they call them in some traditions, but they are alcoholics. Um, uh, And I can name a number of teachers who had some serious problems, so they skipped some fundamentals, but they went on to the advanced levels. Um, but that chain breaks at its weakest link. So my lessons today are more mundane, learning how to be fully honest with my, those who are closest to me, my wife, my daughters, my grown daughters, how to communicate better with them. Um, that's the paradox. I can speak with uh, 14, 1,500 people, and I'm right out there. I'm humorous and open, and, but when I'm with family members, intimate family members, that's where I lose face and, and act like a dork sometimes. So we all have lessons (laughs) to learn. They may not be in, in the higher realms of consciousness. They may be very practical, everyday lessons, and I'm still working on those.
1: Well, okay then, Dan, in our closing few minutes, if I were to say to you that the entirety of life is a riddle, and maybe many riddles compiled into one humongous riddle, And and, and the riddle is maybe about solving, but perhaps it's the process of going towards a solution that's more relevant to the riddle of life. What would be the riddle that you think life has posed for you?
0: Ah, well, I first need to provide a context for your listeners. Uh, it wasn't by accident you brought up the metaphor of the riddle because one of the characters in the hidden school, I call Papa Joe, seems to love riddles. And he's definitely an older yeah. man. He's like nearly 90 now. And, and um, I'm going to share something with your listeners that I haven't shared on any other program or interview because you've been such a brilliant. Uh, conversation list. I've <laughs> loved your questions oh, and comments, really. Awesome. truly have. Um, and Your listeners can go to my website, but not just the website. They can go to peacefulwarrior.com riddles, R-I-D-D-L-E-S and they will immediately see seven riddles one after the next with multiple choice answers. They're not impossible to guess, but if they solve all seven of those riddles they will have access, to, free access, to um, a tape, an audio program, 20 minutes long, where I, I discuss meditation from, I think, a refreshing viewpoint. Some insights into what meditation is and how it works. Um, so your your listeners can do that. Peacefulwarrior.com/riddles, wow. and they can uh, huh. uh, do those riddles. Now, so to get to your question about you know, life being a riddle, yeah, in a way it feels like one, or, or a joke, and we don't get the punchline. Um, and that's where paradox, we return to paradox. It is a kind of riddle. How can it be true and not true? How can it be the best of times and the worst of times? Uh, how can our lives be challenge and a blessing? Um, that's a riddle. You know, there's, I came across a quotation the other day that I found quite interesting. It said, the true questions have no answers. Or the best questions have no answers. That in itself is a riddle. How could that be true? Um, and I try to address some of these questions and at least point to some solutions that can help clarify all of our lives uh, in the hidden school and in, in my work as a whole. So there we are.
1: That's beautifully said. Is it? And now I want to narrow it down to you, though. Dan, you as this human being that provides us with all this opportunity and influences us to think beyond shift out of lethargy or shift out of sameness and moves into paradox and change. What's your riddle right now that's keeping you on the edge of discovery? What's your riddle?
0: I think my riddle which would be something to solve is the next moment of everyday life. Every day poses riddles. And for me and for anyone, Um, I'm not trying to dodge the question. It's just, it takes place at a level of, you know, I'm, I'm more like a hobbit. I mean, (laughs) uh, it takes place at a level of abstraction that I find difficult to reach. Um, But, The riddle of how death is real and how life is eternal, I think that's one that I'm getting closer to in my 70s, whether it's in the next moment or tomorrow or or 10 or 20 years from now, um, the riddle of eternal life, uh, that's one we all face, which I've tried to at least share in my own way uh, in the Mm -hmm. hidden school.
1: That is so profound that you say that because I have to say that I experienced uh, some, of your, some of the answers to the questions that you posed or the riddles that you had got answered and I had the answer in my energetic form that felt like, okay, this is solid. I can deal with this. I can use this. And yet there were some that were left dangling in the air, floating, unresponsive, one unresponded to, and that would have been one of the ones that was left in a quandary or a question mark. Dan, you make us think. I appreciate so much you continuing to express yourself, expose yourself, and entertain us as well. And in this closing little bit, how do we contact you again? Tell us that. Tell us a bit more about your book, and then give us that pinky closure. <laughs> <High education. coughs> well.
0: Uh, the the best uh, place if people are (laughs) curious about my work or interested Carol they can go to peacefulwarrior.com it's a new website uh, we created and it has quite a few features including a life purpose calculator they can access to get a glimpse at their life path if they haven't read my book uh, another book in the series um, and the online courses including the peaceful warrior work and so on so more about my books or my work and the events I'm going to be speaking around the country um, at various events. Uh, peacefulwarrior.com, one-stop spiritual shopping, let's say.
1: That's beautiful. Peacefulwarrior.com. Everybody, please do hook into that. And Dan, I hope to meet you one day in person. But so let's keep the conversation going, but let's end this conversation with that pissy exit. What do you want to give us?
0: Just a reminder, uh, a heartfelt reminder to your listeners to trust the process and the path of their life unfolding rather than second-guessing what it should have, could is. Trust that it is unfolding on a transcendental level exactly as it should and make the best of it.
1: Wow. What a statement of flow. Thank you so much, Dan Nielman. Listeners, go forward peacefully Wrestle your way with a flow. Take good care of yourself. Cheers Dan. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Carol.